Well, what's up, church family? It's good to see you. Uh, it, has, it has been a minute. Um, so thank you for bringing the church into uh, this place. I'm so grateful for you all. I'm excited to, to be back. Uh, man, I mean, every Sunday that, that rolled around, um, there was just this, this ache, this longing. As much as we, we enjoyed our time, and I'm going to share more about that, how restful it was, the way the Lord used it uh, in, in our lives and continues to. Um, there, was this, there was this thing, though, that was missing, and it was like, oh, there's this body of people, this, this church family. Not that's just like a family, but as the scriptures say, like, we actually are a family, like members of one another. And it was just like, oh man, I am so thankful for this time, but also so looking forward to being back. Uh, glad to see our front row spot over there was not taken by anybody. Um, and so um, mainly because then I can sing, but I'm not singing to directly into somebody's ear um, because that would be horrible for whoever's sitting in front of me. Um, but I have missed being able to gather. I mean, what we just did a moment ago to, to sing, to have the worship team lead us. I mean, we got to visit other churches this summer while we were gone, but every time I was like, Mm, yeah, this, this is good. I'm not going to judge, but I am judging. All right. Um, uh, I just love being able to gather uh, with you all to worship Jesus through song, through our confession, through sitting under God's word, praying together, and just this rich fellowship. And so before getting into things uh, th this morning, uh, I want to say just a, a couple of, of things. Certainly there's much that the Lord has taught and is doing and reminded me of and my family. God in his kindness has taken things that, here's the reality, there's nothing new under the sun. I didn't go away and like, I have this new thing. You've never heard it before. That's how cults start. We're not looking for that, right? Um, but to be reminded and to hear from God things that I have had the privilege to, to teach and preach over the years and for him to say, hey, why don't you just sit and let me remind you of those things. I'll, I'll talk about that more in a moment as well, some of the specifics but before that, um, thank you. Just want to say thank you to this church body. I mean, we think back to that, that last Sunday, the last Sunday in May before we were sent out for this time and just the way you guys, the enthusiasm you had for us to go and experience this, right? Like a friend tells me, like, I'm going on vacation. I'm like, I'll have fun, you know, and maybe a little bit of like, oh, I'm kind of jealous. I mean, you guys met this with like, we're so pumped for you. And I realize this is a incredibly unique thing. Like it is so rare. I realize that this isn't something that everybody's just like, oh yeah, you know, I have that normal three months off, right? Like this is a incredibly unique thing. And so the ways that you guys blessed us, the ways you provided gifts for us, I, I mentioned this in a little update video, but seriously, like um, it was the, the Ziploc bag of goodness, you know, of all these gift cards. We're like, what are we going to do now? Like we're just reaching in there, you know, and just be able to go and to enjoy and not to, to worry about some of the finances. It was just a incredible gift. The way the guys were praying for us, getting texts throughout the summer, just saying, hey, don't need anything. Everything's good. Just want you to know we're, we're praying for you guys. Um, amazing. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, can't say that enough to uh, the leadership here, to Eric and Dan as our elders, right? To the, the, the staff, obviously that includes Pastor Eric, Lauren and, and Andrew and Jessica and Tracy. Uh, so thankful. Can you guys give those folks a round of applause as well? So just fantastic. Um, could really get away and rest knowing that like 
the church was going to continue. This is Jesus's church. He doesn't need me. All right. That is clearly uh, evident. Um, but I'm thankful that I get to be a part. I'm so thankful uh, to be back. Um, so thank you. Um, thanks for allowing us this unique uh, time. And we were, um, yeah, away for a good bit of it. Some, we had kind of this nice rhythm, I felt like, of traveling some, um, uh, getting to rest as well, just experiencing some just time just at home, um, maybe working on some projects that had long been neglected, got to use a nail gun for the first time. Uh, that was amazing, all right? Uh, don't get too close to me with that, but I was like, this is fun. All right, anyway, so we had just sort of the, these moments, and I'll share a few more details. Um, but as I've been thinking about it and this date circle on the calendar, just thinking, Lord, what would you have me share? Um, you know, is it 4,000 pictures and like a slide. No, I don't think that's it. Um, if you want to see pictures, I'll show you later on. Um, but, um, but really, I felt like God was reminding me of just the, this theme. I'm kind of thinking about it this way, like this, welcome home, like welcoming me into his presence as he always does. His faithfulness, his, what I want to talk about, and there are more certainly, but just three invitations, I feel like the Lord has in his kindness been like, remember this, remember this, remember this, like invitations that just had this sense of as we work through that this time and just even learning what it is to, to actually rest. Um, my sabbatical counselor coach said it's going to take four or five weeks before everything just kind of settles down. And uh, yes, that is how, how it played out almost exactly. It was like about a month in and like, what day is it, right? Like just having those, uh, those moments and being reminded that an identity is not found in what I produce, the things that I can contribute, but actually we get to rest in the finished work of Jesus. I got to have this extended time of rest, as did my family, ways to be able to connect and celebrate this summer. Many of you knew it was a significant summer for us uh, in that uh, we had our younger daughter was turning 16 and she starts her junior year, is out on the road now, right? Like um, uh, just exciting. Our older daughter who um, was heading off to college, so we dropped her off uh, last week. If I talk too much about that, I'll start crying, but um, she's up in the great state of Michigan, and as Michiganders do, we're like, she's right there, all right? Um, and that's how you uh, signify where she is. Um, uh, but super excited about that. My wife and I got to celebrate 25 uh, years of marriage this summer, and so got a trip, just the two of us, out to Colorado. Uh, this part of Colorado we've never been, and a part of Colorado that I don't think has been visited by cell towers yet, so like almost no communication with the outside world, which was amazing, aside from our kids were at home by themselves, but we think they did okay. Um, but just incredible, incredible gifts. And in that time, amidst the travel and all of that, God was sharing with me just this like, hey, but here's an invitation. And they're invitations that are not contingent upon being in the Rocky Mountains or being out at the beach or having extended time off. They're invitations for every day of my life, of your life. And so I want to talk about that this morning. And to help us uh, do that, as we look at it, I'm going to go to a very familiar passage. I was asking God, like, like there's certainly these invitations. There's a number of places we could have gone. But a passage that came to mind is this familiar parable out of Luke 15. And so if you have a Bible, please turn there. Luke chapter 15, we'll look at verses 11 to 32. There are Bibles in the back of the pews there. Um, you can also go to cp.church on your phone. If you'll click that little next steps icon, 
It'll pop up a thing that says sermon notes, and you can follow along there. Things that I put up on the slides this morning, you'll see in the notes. If there's a quote that you like, you're like trying to write that down, it's all there. Um, so you can reference that if that's helpful. But Luke chapter 15, 11 to 32. Let me go ahead and, and read this. This is God's word to us this morning. And I hope as you hear this, what I'm guessing for many of you is a familiar story. It's one of the most famous parables of Jesus that, like me, you might experience uh, just these invitations. Hear them afresh this morning. So Luke 15, beginning in verse 11, it says this. He also says, this is Jesus telling this, a man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. So he distributed the assets to them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered together all he had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. And after he had spent everything, a severe famine struck the country and he had nothing. Then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he longed to eat his fill from the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. And when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food? And here I am dying of hunger. I'll get up, I'll go to my father and say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. And so he got up and he went to his father. But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him. He was filled with compassion he ran, he threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father told his servants, quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fattened calf, slaughter it, and let's celebrate with a feast because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. They began to celebrate. Verse 25. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came near the house, he heard music and dancing, which I think is an epic party. It's one thing to hear music, but if you're hearing the dancing, it's like, oh, something is happening there, right? And so he hears this, and he replied, um, and so he's wondering what's going on. So he summoned one of the servants, questioning what these things meant. Your brother is here, he told him, and your father he has slaughtered the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. And then he became angry and he didn't want to go in. And so his father came out and pleaded with him. But he replied to his father, look, I've been slaving many years for you. I've never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him? Son, he said to him, you are always with me. Everything I have is yours, but we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is God's word for us this morning. So what I want to spend a few moments on as I sort of update you on some things, some things I feel like God has been teaching me, but also in this hoping that it will encourage us. Like you really, more than anything, you don't need to hear my thoughts, my opinions, my travel log of things that we did, right? Like we need to hear from God's word. And the first invitation I want to put before you, something that I feel like God has reminded me afresh of, things that, you know, 
I didn't know what were going to be some of the big takeaways, but even things I'm seeing how God in his providence and grace to know, like Pastor Eric preaches a series on adoption to, to kick off uh, the summer together here and knowing like, hey, I wasn't here for that, but this is one of the themes that God was bringing, this invitation to experience the love of the father. And we see that in this text, don't we? I mean, we got to talk for a moment about the, these sons, but like the dominant theme is like the love of the father. Perhaps you're familiar with Rembrandt's work, right? You see this incredible work of art and there is the younger son, the younger brother, right? Who has sinned in some very blatant and obvious ways. And he's being welcomed in. And you got the father there with his arms on him. And there's this light that's sort of radiating. And then off to the side, you can see with this hand sort of clenched is the older brother depicted with a heart that is hard, a heart that is unwilling to experience the mercy and the grace, a heart that's full of contempt. And you have this contrast that's taking place. And yet both of them are being extended the love, the mercy, the pursuit of the father to actually experientially know this. And so if we're going to talk about the love of the father, we have to, for a moment, just look at the offense of not only the son, the younger son, but the sons. I mean, really, this is a story about these two sons and their different ways on the surface look very different, but both are very separated, very alienated from the father. And so look with me at some of these words I read a moment ago. It starts out, verse 12, the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of the estate that I have coming to me. So he distributed the assets to them. You, you get what's going on here, right? Like, it's a pretty basic thing that, hey, if there's an inheritance that you're going to get, you get that if you're the son, when what? When the father dies, not before. And so practically, the younger son rolls up to his father and is like, listen, functionally, I care nothing for you. I literally just want your stuff. If I could have my way, I wish you would have died yesterday so we could just get on with this and I could have my share of the estate and I can go do what I want to do. He wants nothing to do with the father. Do you see the incredible offense of this, right? That he would ask for this before the father has passed away. Even the language there, the father immediately says he distributed these assets to them. The word there is bios. Think like biology. It's, it's a word for life. Like he's literally, like how painful this would have been to give all that he had, likely having to to sort of like liquidate his assets, which would have been land, which would have been in the family for hundreds of years. This was an incredibly costly, painful thing, a shameful thing. This would have been known in the community and the father grants it. And then this younger son goes and he squanders it. Word even gets back to the older brother in town of what he has been up to, how he squandered it, where he spent his time, that he's been with prostitutes. I mean, imagine the father just like living his life, being told, I wish you were dead. Just having to be, I'm sure he was just up late at night, just like, oh, my son, like, what is he doing? Just this, this pain, there's this severe famine, right? Even this younger son who has to go work for, with the pigs and he's longing to even have the food that the, the pigs had. And for a Jewish man to be with the pigs, I mean, this is incredibly offensive, right? It's like, no, 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 we don't do this. I mean, so he has just reached this all-time low. But it's not just him, right? 
Look at the language in verses 28 to 30 of the older brother. He became angry. He didn't want to go in to the party. His father came out and pleaded with him. We'll look at that more in a moment. And he replied to his father, like, can you hear the contempt in this passage, like toward his father? I've been slaving many years for you. There's no thankfulness. There's no gratitude, right? Is this sort of entitlement that he has. I've never disobeyed your orders, which I'm sure, can we be real for a moment? Like the, the dad is probably like, oh, really? Really, you never disobeyed, but I'll just let that one slide for now, right? Um, and he's like, you never even gave me a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. And then he can't even speak of him as his brother when this son of yours shows up. Really? This is what you're gonna do. He's been with prostitutes. He squandered everything. He's brought shame upon the family. Cool, yeah, it makes perfect sense. Go throw a party. Great job, dad. Like, that's what's taking place here. And yet, there's this movement. Friends, do you see it here? It says in verse 20, the younger son, he gets up, right? He's got his speech prepared. He's gonna go to the father. But while the son was still a long way off, telling us here that the father regularly is on the lookout for his son, wondering if he would ever come home. He's praying for him. He's looking for him. His father saw him, was filled with compassion. And he ran, he threw his arms around his neck. He began to kiss him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven in your sight. No longer worthy to be called your son. He's starting his speech. And you notice in the text, it gets cut off. The father's like, yeah, 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 right? Like, and he starts putting plans in order. He moves toward him. He runs after him. He sees his boy. He sees his son. The love of the father. It's the initiating love of the father that is taking place here. And in that time and in that culture, right? The patriarch, the head of the family, the one in charge, the distinguished, honorable man, you do not like hike everything up and like run toward anybody. No, people run and bring you things. That's how that works in that culture. And he does what would have been shameful, what would have been unheard of, because he is so just overjoyed. There's my boy, there's my son. And he goes and he throws his arms around him and he begins to kiss him. And then he begins to call things. He calls his servants, bring the best robe. I mean, imagine just kind of how like smelly and tattered all the things were with the younger son. Put this great robe on him, put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, and then gets the fattened calf ready for this feast. All of this is saying, listen, I accept you, I welcome you, you're brought back in. It's all about the love of the Father. You were dead, you've been made alive. But it's not just there. If you know the story, you know as well, right, that the older brother is also cut off from the Father. He's standing outside of the party, and did you notice the language? So the Father came out and pleaded with him. Again, if that's me, I'm thinking, this is embarrassing. I gotta go plead with my kid to come into this, right? Like maybe you've been in that spot as a, a parent of a young child, and you're just like, oh, come on, can you please obey just for a moment, right? Like you're, you're pleading with this one. And he, he moves toward this son with the same love, the same compassion. He wants to celebrate together. He wants the family together. There's this love that is poured out, not just for the younger son, but also for the older son, both who've been alienated from him, both who clearly in different ways, but with great similarity, have been living life according to what they want to do. And so 
in this text, one of the things that comes up for me, what I've been reflecting on is this idea here, like, how do I, how do you think about God? Now, one of the things I was most excited about, um, an aspect of being on sabbatical, um, some of you who, who know me know that um, I feel very called here to this area, to this, this church, but if it was like, oh, we could take all of you and go take our church and just put it somewhere with less humidity in the mountains, man, that'd be, that, now that's heaven, right? Like, that'd be amazing. Um, and so summer in Florida, I'm just kind of like, yeah, um, and, well, not, and I'm like, oh, this is terrible, right? That's kind of my disposition. It's always very much looking forward to even like the sabbatical proposal I put together for the elders and things like, oh, I just, to connect with just God through the beauty, the splendor of his creation, to be reminded of how small I am, to gaze upon, you know, this is, you know, just down the street from where we stayed in Colorado. It's just like, just these fantastic, beautiful vistas, right? To be able to have these opportunities to go on hikes, uh, to be close to several 14,000 foot peaks, all right, that people out there will talk about, oh, they go and climb these 14ers, you know, some of these things that, that look like this. And so my wife and I, um, uh, thankfully we're here to actually, you know, share this story. I decided, let's go do that, all right? And so we bought oxygen in town. They have these little things that says, for, for Floridians, here, take this, all right? And so uh, threw that in the backpack, um, and we decided to go, and the guy in town said, oh, yeah, this is one of the easier 14ers, and then learned out later, I think he was trying to trick us because somebody's like, that was not an easy one to go and do. Um, but we got to about 13,500 uh, feet. We had a little, yeah, just a little over 500 feet more of elevation to go. And suddenly like the sky was turning black. All right. Everywhere we looked, there's like this little patch of like blue sky and everything was dark. The wind was picking up. Um, we're hearing thunder. All right. Um, and it literally started, we're, we're, this is probably July 14. It starts snowing. All right. And then it turned to hail. All right. Um, and I was like, Heather, protect me. All right. And so we had um, this moment uh, up there. Um, in all seriousness, there's some great photos. I'm, I'm like, I know we might die, but can I take a picture? And so Heather's got this amazing, like, smile, like, on her face. Um, and people were coming down from the peak. And I'm like, we can still make it. Right. And they're like, you need to turn around now. Right. You do not need to be airlifted off this mountain. Right. So, anyways, we had those sort of adventures. But those places, it was that sort of stuff that I was like, oh man, like to encounter the beauty, the wonder, the awe of God. Great gifts. They are amazing, right? But here's the reality. Like I don't get to live in that place, in that environment all the time, right? What would it look like to be in awe of God in the everyday things? Like that's been another big lesson. And so I remember getting home and it was our, had been back from Colorado. We'd been to North Carolina earlier um, in, in the month. And some of these places that I really enjoy, and I'm not knocking that, they're great gifts. But I got home and I'm reading this book on the Trinity, all right? And it's not that I didn't know anything about the Trinity before. It's like, oh, I became Trinitarian. No, I was always that, right? Um, but I'm reading through this and I found some things very convicting because there are some truths in there that yes, God is the creator and the ruler and sustainer of everything, but there's an identity that's even more primary that I can connect with whether I'm at the beach or the mountains or just experiencing something that I would say like fills my soul. There is an invitation to know the heart of the Father. And so Michael Reeves in his book, Delighting in the Trinity, said it this way. I hadn't thought about this before. He's like, hey, if God's identity is to be the creator or the ruler, which those are all aspects, right? These are attributes of God. Then 
then he needs a creation to rule in order to be who he is. For all his cosmic power, then the God, this, this God turns out to be pitifully weak because he needs us. Like, oh, I hadn't thought about it that way before. And Jesus says things like this, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. He's talking about the Father except through me. He doesn't say no one comes to the creator or the ruler, though those things are true. No one comes to the Father. And so let me read a little bit more. Reeves continues, he says, so that is how God has revealed himself to be. Not first and foremost creator or ruler, but father. Perhaps the way to appreciate this best is to ask, what was God doing before creation? Before he made the oceans, before he made the Rocky Mountains, right? Jesus tells us explicitly in John 17, 24, father, he says, you loved me before the creation of the world. And that is the God revealed by Jesus Christ before he ever created, before he ever ruled the world, before anything else. This God was a father loving his son. So when Jesus shows up and he speaks at his baptism, like, you're my son and you, I'm well pleased, like, because of the work of Christ, I'm like, that gets spoken over us. Read one last quote. Since God then is before all things a father and not primarily creator or ruler, All his ways are beautifully fatherly. It's not that this God, you know, um, does being father as a day job only to kick back in the evening as plain old God. And it's not that he has a nice blob of fatherly icing on top. No, he is father all the way down. Thus, all that he does, he does as father. That is who he is. He creates as a father. He rules as a father. And that means the way he rules over creation is most unlike the way any other God would rule over creation. And so as I sat there, in late July, sitting at home on my couch, reading this book when it's like 100 degrees out and my heart was like, I miss the mountains, right? Having that moment, it's like, oh, but this is fundamental. This is what I need to rest in. There is a father who invites me to experience his love. How amazing is that? So that's the first invitation. The next two things, they flow out of this. The second invitation then is that as we understand more of the love of the Father, it frees us up. I would say it this way. It frees us up to confess and to be curious about our story. There's a freedom that happens in confession. So we look back for a moment, verses 14 to 17. There's this line in verse 17, right? The younger son, he spent everything. He's destitute, all right? Um, the gift cards have run out, whatever, right? Like, and so he's, he's there. And it's, there's this line, when he came to himself or when he came to his senses. And oftentimes, God in his kindness, that's how it works. Something about circumstances or using other people. It's not that, the language here is not that the younger son was reflecting. It was like, yes, um, here's what I, I need to do. It's like, oh, like part of God's grace and compassion is to bring him to his senses, to remind him that he must have been reminded enough even of the character of his father. Now, he had it wrong at this point because he, he thought, I'll go back and maybe I can earn my way. I know I can't be a son, but I can earn my way to being like a hired servant. Maybe eventually I can get back into the good graces. Like he didn't fully understand it, but he knew he had to confess. He knew he had to move in a new direction. The way the scriptures speak about this is that there's the kindness of God, Romans 2 speaks of this, that leads us repentance. And so friends, one of the things that has been so helpful that I think would be worthwhile sharing for a moment is like, how has this played out? 
And I don't have this like, oh, and here's everything figured out. It's completely sorted out. And, you know, I've reached a new level of sanctification. I'm here to share all my successes with you. I share this as like, oh, God's ongoing work in my life to remind me of the love, the embrace, the pursuit of the Father that in his kindness would say, hey, I want to give you some space to be curious about your story to reflect, to come to your senses. Maybe a way to think about it is this. I heard a friend say this recently, right? Like a rear view mirror is helpful, all right? Um, now, I know most people have the cameras in their car, but back in the day, right? The rear view mirror, and like you got to back out of your driveway, all right, before you can move forward. Like it's helpful at times to look back. Our 16-year-old daughter who's now driving, I've not told her, look in the rear view mirror at all times and all places. No, like that would be bad. Like you can't live life that way. But it is helpful to look back in order to look forward a bit. And so part of this time has been spent with some intentionality around this. Part of the time was meeting with regularly with a counselor, the sabbatical coach, that every couple of weeks there was a, a FaceTime or Zoom call or whatever um, to talk through things. And sometimes I would talk with him, and sometimes Heather and I both would talk with him. And this was one of his encouragements. He was like, hey, are you curious about your story. I'd encourage you to be curious. Ask why that is. I'm like, well, can you just tell me? You're the expert. You need to be curious about your story. And so there were things, friends, that like in this, I'm just experiencing of like this joy of a, a level of like, I think, greater honesty and vulnerability, all right, that the love of the Father frees me up, frees us up to experience. And I don't think the environment for everything is like, hey, Find the largest crowd possible and share all of that. But there is a call, right, to be honest with yourself, with God, with yourself, and with like a close-knit group of people. Like, do you have that? Because it's one of the ways we experience the love of the Father is him working through other people to remind you, listen, I know the worst parts of you. I have seen it. I've experienced some of the worst things. It's got some lingering effects on me. And yet, know this, I love you. I'm with you. Like that's part of how God communicates to us. And so it's been really helpful to just have that space. That's not always easy. So I'll give you an example. One was um, uh, first assignment uh, for our sabbatical coaching, counseling. Um, The guy is a certified like Enneagram instructor. Some of you are into that. Some of you are like, that's the devil's tool, whatever, however you think about it, right? But, um, uh, but Again, personality assessments, these things can be helpful, all right? Um, they're not the be-all, end-all, right? I don't have a verse about this, but, um, but very helpful. And it was a very thorough, like over 200 questions. Um, and so I'm taking this, and so I get my results back. And, uh, um, and he's, like, he's like, wow, he's like, uh, you actually scored almost the same, very high scores in three of the areas. He's like, they're, and they're all, they would all be things that are like, like competing with one another. Like, you, you're probably, are you very conflicted? And Heather's like, oh, now you know my life, right? Um, and, uh, and so he begins unpacking some of these, these things and some things for me that are like, uh, he's like, hey, do you, and he's like, do you sometimes not want to go to a larger gathering? Um, and then, but once you get there, like you're the last one to leave. I'm like, oh yeah, that actually is it, right? Like um, uh, some of the, these things, but then we got more specific and he began looking at Heather's results and how she scored. And she scored as a primary thing as this, this helper, right? And one of the things, just as an example, anecdotally, but it revealed something to me, right? To realize like, oh, we, for years, I would take Friday off. 
all right? Um, and we would spend that, that day together. But me and part of my personality and part of my temperament, all right? And that personality and temperament's not a sinful thing to confess. But, but at times, what am I doing with this? Like, I would have these grandiose, like, this day has to be the end all be all. It must be the most restful, the most, you know, the most interesting. We must go do the most fun things, all right? And if you know life, right, that doesn't always happen. Kid calls sick from school, something's come up, car breaks down, right? Now, my wife, what's her disposition? Like, just wants to help, wants to do this. And I am acting like a miserable jerk most Fridays. And so we're having this talk, and she ends up saying, like, hey, yeah, I just kind of grew to, like, dread Fridays. And I'm like, oh, I am, I am a jerk of a husband, right? Um, and to take what could have been this gift and be like, oh, but because of things for me that I was holding, is like, it's got to be this, and it's got to be perfect, could ruin a good gift. And to have space to process those sort of things. Now, that's one just little anecdote, but it helped me begin to see, oh, how, maybe even in more serious ways too, like how, how have my disposition, the things that I, like, what are things that I continually run back to, things that um, I need to repent of? And the love of the Father, I feel like is putting me back in just kind of this, this path of saying, listen, you're loved, I pursue you, there's this compassion but I want you to experience more of my grace. And part of that is through confession. And now, again, that's not like every last detail to everybody, but there's like, do people know you? What does it look like to grow in vulnerability? To be, one of the things just exploring a bit was like being curious about, oh, why do I sometimes get disproportionately angry about something that shouldn't make anyone like this angry? Like this circumstance might cause, call for a little bit of frustration, but like that, has gone, that's, you're, you're reacting, you're overreacting to that thing. And to ask like, hey, why? What's there? To explore like through God's common means of grace, right? Things like this is where God in his grace says, hey, you can talk to a counselor, you can talk to a doctor, you can, you can pursue some of these things. Why do I sometimes find myself being like just uh, obsessing over certain things and I can't let certain things go and generally have a disposition, if you're into the Enneagram, as a peacemaker in most things, but then I kind of keep that up out there, but then in my most raw moments can find my mind not able to let certain things go and it creates this level of agitation that is incredibly disruptive and can be hurtful to those that are in closest proximity to me, namely those who are my, you know, in the home, like my wife and my, my kids and realize, oh, that's some stuff that I need to keep working through. And God in his grace to have a group of people and a close group of friends to process some of this with that are with you and that they know you and you can confess to, it has been a means of God's grace to experience the love of the Father where they're saying, hey, I know you, I love you, we are with you, we're not going anywhere. And to experience grace... Church, that is what I want for, not only for me, but for all of us. I mean, this reality that the Father's love frees us to actually be honest with our stories. To be able to say, like the Son did, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. So yes, we sin against other people, but it's ultimately an offense against God. This is Psalm 51 language where David says, against you, you only have I sinned. You're like, David, are you delusional? What about Bathsheba and Uriah, the dude you had killed? Like, Right? But he understands so deeply that it's ultimately an offense against God. And so there's this confession, this repentance. 
as I made mention of God's kindness, Paul asked, you know, right? It's intended to, to lead you to repentance. We are our most true selves when we are seeing our sin and our brokenness and we are returning, like the prodigal, returning to our father. But knowing it's in the story, what preceded the confession? The compassion of the father. He sprints, he runs, he sees, he throws his arms around. And in that place, the son is able to confess. And there's a joy that is found. A book I began reading through uh, recently, um, the guy's going through various artists and some of their, their masterpieces. And he begins ta- telling the story of Vincent Van Gogh. And if you know anything about Van Gogh, um, uh, it's fair to say Van Gogh, immensely talented and a very tortured soul, right? Um, and at one point, he, he has these grandiose plans. Um, there's another artist that is a roommate of his. They're planning on doing all this great work in the south of France, I think it was. And, and they're putting together these plans and they get in a fight. And his friend not only leaves, but packs his bags. I was like, I'm out of here. We're done. Our plans are not coming together. And in a moment of just such frustration with himself that Vincent Van Gogh engages in this self-harm, he literally cuts off a portion of his ear, right? So some of you may know this story. So this person who was just on the cusp historically of like making it big time. Like his art was starting to be known and appreciated. He was starting to actually make some money at this. He was ceasing to be just the struggling artist and making a career of it. He slices off his own ear, weirdly gives it to the, this girl in town and the police find him the next day, like in his bed in a pool of blood because his ear hasn't stopped bleeding, right? And so like just painful, and Russ Ramsey, who's this pastor, he's writing about this story. Here's the picture. Van Gogh did a self-portrait, all right? Self-portrait with bandaged ear, is called, right? And so that is him, and you can see over his ear there. It's all bandaged up. And you think about it, what had to have been a moment of just, I mean, incredible shame, frustration, regret. Not because he was proud of it, but you see... God loves to take the broken, the wounded, the conflicted, and to bring about his redemptive purposes. And so Russ Ramsey in this book says this in regards to this painting, rather than run or hide from this humiliating series of events, events, he captured the moment of his greatest shame. It is hard to render an honest self-portrait if we want to conceal what is unattractive and hide what's broken. We want to appear beautiful, but when we do this, we hide what needs redemption what we trust Christ to redeem, and everything redeemed by Christ becomes beautiful. He continues, he says, in Vincent's case, the story ends with a sweet bit of irony, self-portrait with bandaged ear, in which Van Gogh captured the moment of his spiritual and relational poverty is now worth millions. The canvas faithfully captures a defining moment of shame and need for rescue by showing the bandaged side, and it has become a priceless treasure. This is how God sees his people. We are fully exposed in our shortcomings, yet we are of unimaginable value to him. This is how we should see others and how we should be willing to be seen by others, broken and of incalculable worth. That God would take what is broken and create a masterpiece out of it. This story This Luke 15 parable is just this fresh invitation and reminder. There's a love of the Father. And the more we experience that, the more we can be honest with one another. I'll close with this because I know I'm out of time. But um, 
it ends in a feast. And there is a feast that awaits us when Jesus splits the sky and comes back, new heavens, new earth, marriage supper of the lamb, it's gonna be epic. But it also starts right here and right now. And we have the opportunity as the church to be an honest community, in the words of Kurt Thompson in his book, The Soul of Shame, this, this beautiful confessional community where we are a people who would confess to one another to bring things into the light, to say, hey, I need prayer for this. I need your help in this. And to experience in those moments, God ministering his love through one another so that we might know how loved we are, how pursued we are. And so I love this picture. And church, if there's anything that I come back from sabbatical just wanting more of in my own life, and for all of us, is that we would be a people that are experiencing the love of the Father as we confess freely. We are broken, all right? If you're here, it's like, is this the perfect church? No, we are a bunch of jacked up sinners. Like, but you have a spot here. Like, welcome. We are sinners saved by grace. God is making masterpieces out of all the things that we have messed up to showcase his power, his strength, his fatherly love. And so there's this celebration and even in a moment when we participate in this meal and we sing, this is just this little appetizer, this foretaste of the feast that awaits us. But it's not just someday off in the future, like right here, right now, like let's get after this together to be an honest community, a community that's curious about our stories. What drives us? Where are the areas we need to repent? We'll close with this because this is ultimately a question. There's ultimately a question in the story of like, okay, does the father just say, eh, son, don't worry about it. It's no big deal. Everybody messes up. Come on in. Sometimes it's interpreted that way. Yep, God, just that's just how he is. No, forgiveness always costs. So who's footing the bill in this? And there's this beautiful reminder because the truth of the matter is the older brother has his inheritance is still coming. And that fattened calf and that ring and those sandals and that robe and everything that was spent on this lavish party is bit by bit chipping away at what will ultimately come to him. Like it's costing him. As Tim Keller so beautifully lays out in his book, The Prodigal God, which I would commend to you to pick up and to read and to reread and to read again, says, you would have thought maybe the older brother would have gone after his younger brother, but he's unwilling to confess his need. He stays stuck in his self-righteousness. He's outside of the party. Church, we don't want that. I don't want that in my life. I don't want that for you. We don't want to be older brothers, but we have to recognize there's a younger brother and older brother dynamic in all of us. But a good older brother would have willingly done what the younger brother like, needed. And so hear these words from the prodigal God. We'll close with this. Let me jump back. Sorry, I went, went ahead. The point of the parable is that forgiveness always involves a price. Someone has to pay there was no way for the younger brother to return to the family unless the older brother bore the cost himself. And our true elder brother paid our debt on the cross in our place. There, Jesus was stripped naked of his robe and dignity so that we could be clothed with a dignity and standing we don't deserve. On the cross, Jesus was treated as an outcast so that we could be brought into God's family freely by grace. There, Jesus drank the cup of eternal justice so that we might have the cup of the Father's joy. There was no other way for the Heavenly Father to bring us in except at the expense of our true elder brother. Praise God for Jesus. Praise God for the sending of his son, that the Father would send his son so we can be brought in.
So I want to pray for us, and I'll give us some instructions on how we um, will continue in the service. But take this time. The key to joy is repent, to return, to remember the gospel. And we're going to rejoice together, even through a meal that the Lord has given to us. But let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your mercy, your kindness, your grace. I thank you for these fresh reminders God, that you've brought to me the ways, God, that um, even looking at Psalm 23 a few months ago, God, asking that you might restore my soul. These are the things that do it. And so I thank you for just what a gift it has been. Thank you for the gift that is this church here, this body of believers. God, I thank you for their encouragement to my family and to me. And God, I just thank you for the fact that you are a father, that you pursue us. Jesus, thank you that you are a good elder brother. And then at infinite cost, you took our sin, our shame, the punishment we deserve, like you took it in our place. We give you praise for that. God, as we continue to worship you now, we pray that you would get your glory, the glory only you deserve. I pray you would help us as your people to experience a deep and abiding joy. We pray these things in Christ's name, amen.